The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church and is part of our series in 1 John. For previous messages or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Good morning, church. I, I hope you've had a great week. Um, if you could find your place with me in 1 John 3, we're going to pick up there. As you're finding your place, I, I want to give you, take a moment just to give you a little bit of an update. Uh, our heart as a church is to share the good news of Jesus Christ through word, through action, through planting churches, through all the things that we do. We want to do this both locally and globally. Uh, this is our heart. It's our passion. And, and over the past year, this has really begun to take kind of root in our church, uh, as we've developed who, how we are going to engage in this. Over the next couple weeks, just FYI, you're going to start to hear more information about how we are going to engage this on a local level. We have some opportunities that I cannot wait to talk about with you on a local level. But um, right now, this morning, I want to give you a little bit of an update on our global focus. Uh, as many of you know, we have been working hard over the past year to develop a partnership in Africa. Uh, about, it was a year ago, it was last summer, Craig and I spent a little over a week in Bahadar, Ethiopia, and, and we were meeting the people, getting to know the needs, seeing the potential opportunities that we have as a church to step in. Uh, and we identified a potential opportunity with a partner to plant churches, get this, in 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 underground churches in really hard-to-reach people groups. And so we developed this opportunity. Uh, honestly, that's speaking my love language. I want in on that. So we, we just went, we went for it. And we started to go down that road and, and ask, what if, how could we get involved? And I know um, as we talked to you guys about it, many of you said, you know, I want in on that. We have, some of you said, hey, I would like to go. I'd like to partner. I'd like to give. I want to pray. Um, and so what we've done, church, is we've taken our plans, taken our desires and, and held them up and said, God, now, what would you have us do? How would you have us step into that? This is our heart. This is what we would like. But God, we need you to open doors. Um, is this the right time? Is this the right place? Is this the right method? So we've, we've really been open-handed. And, and as we have prayed, as our mission team has has prayed, we honestly believe that this is not the right time for that specific trip. Uh, there's been a few communication difficulties that we've had on the ground in Ethiopia in these churches, uh, and there's been a few doors that have, that have closed. And as a church, hear me, we want to be wise stewards of, of our resources, and so we've come to this with open doors. And I mean, like I said, selfishly, I want to be there this summer. But I don't want that if that's not God's timing for us to go. We're taking people. We're taking teams. I don't want to just show up if it's not God's timing. And so um, here's where we go from here. Uh, we are working on, uh, we, are, we are continuing down this road. Please don't hear me wrong. We're not saying, okay, not doing this so we're, you won't hear about this again. What we are saying is that this summer is not going to be the time that we're going to get boots on the ground. Uh, and so we're working as we move forward, and, and I want you to know two things. One, like I said, we're still moving forward. This isn't the last time you've heard of, about this. Uh, number two, I want you to know that as a church, we take this really seriously. 
Uh, we know that we get the opportunity to steward God's resources. Uh, and I want you to know that when you say, hey, I want to go, or hey, I want to invest in this, or hey, I want to partner with this to make it possible, I want you to know that when you do that, we take this very seriously, and we want to do this the best we can to the glory of God um, as we partner. And so we, um, here's what I'm asking of you, and then we'll move forward. Um, I'm asking of you two things. One, if you would pray with us. Uh, a lot of this is out of our control, uh, planting underground churches in, across the globe is not neat and tidy. And uh, we need God to open doors. And, uh, and so I want to invite you, please join with us in praying that God would do just that. The need is great. We just want to meet it in the right way. And then two, I want to invite you uh, to get involved in mission here at Stone Oak, both locally and globally, but um, specifically globally, I'm going to be letting you know of when our next meeting is, uh, and I want you to be a, a part of that. Be a part of the discussion. Be a part of that team and praying and how we, this is a part of our DNA as a church, and so I want to invite you to pray. I want you to, uh, I want to invite you to get involved in that conversation, okay? All right? All right. Three of us are there. We're good. It's good enough for me. Now, uh, I want to pray for us as we begin our time in God's Word this morning. But before we do, I want to read this verse to you. Uh, verse 11 of the text that we're about to look in in, in chapter 3 says, uh, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So you've heard it from the beginning. You've heard Jesus' teaching. This is not new. Love one another. So, Right off the bat, let me ask you, should we love one another? Answer? Yes. We know it. We could go home, right? Of course not. It's easy to understand. We've heard it before, but living it out is much more challenging. Our goal this morning, our grand goal, our big goal, where we're going is not just to learn something. It's not just to learn something new, which please don't hear me wrong. Learning new things is great. Learning things, I hope we are all growing in our knowledge and our understanding of God's word and of God himself. That is, don't hear me wrong, but hear me. I would rather you hear and live out and apply one thing this morning than it would be for you to hear a hundred things and apply nothing. And so this morning, I, I, let, me, let me put it like this. I want you to imagine a man is wanting to be a golf pro. It's really his heart. He really wants to do this. So, so he gets all the videos. He gets all the tutorials. Uh, he goes and he buys all of the gear, clubs, bags, gloves, you name it. He looks the part. He sounds the part. He knows all the right people. He spends every moment in the clubhouse. He knows all the people. He knows all the courses. Um, but he hasn't spent any time on the course or on a driving range. Is that man a golf pro? No. No, uh, he is not because knowledge goes hand to hand, hand in hand with action. And the same is true really what this what we're going to look at is calling us to is that our knowledge we need deep study. We need deep teaching. We, we need it. I hope we're always looking for that. But, but church, just as much, or dare I say more, we need deep living and deep application. Um, 
to have the ability to take what we see and know in our head and to express it through our hands. That's the call uh, this morning, to be masters of application. So I encourage, encourage you, church, this morning as we're about to pray, to lean into this one. Lean into this one. When I tell you to love one another and you go, I've heard that before, um, lean into this one because this is something that we need to grow in. It's something that each of us need to grow in. Um, and so I want to just pray that before we dive in, for God's help, not only in hearing and understanding, but oh, that we would apply. Oh, that we would apply. So church, would you, would you take a moment? Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the journey we've been on in 1 John. God, we're coming to a John's encouragement telling us to do something we know we need to do. And God, I pray that in our time together in your word, that you would um, open our eyes to not only what you have to say, but how we are to live out what you are calling us to do. Help us to be masters of application this morning. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So our text is going to be actually really simple. Uh, John is going to give us two examples. One negative. Don't do this. One positive. The example for us. Two examples. And he's going to start with the negative. So if you look at verse 12, he jumps right into the negative. He says, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. So pause just for a moment. As a church here in uh, several weeks, after we finish up with 1 John, we're actually dropping into the book of Genesis. And so here in several weeks, we are going to spend some time in the book of Genesis. And one of the places we're going to spend time in is Genesis 4, where we read the story of Cain and Abel. We're going to look in depth at this. But for this morning, I want to give you a brief cliff note version. All right, uh, know that we're going to touch down on this later, but here's the cliff note version of this. So Cain was born to Adam and Eve, and he had a brother named Abel. Uh, and if you can remember, Adam and Eve were created to be sinless before God, created in the image of God. They, they, it was paradise, yet it did not last long. Adam and Eve sinned, uh, they, they did not trust God, and for the first time, man actually stands before God and says, I know better. And what this did, did is, it, is it caused a splinter in the relationship, and the fallout from this was epic in the truest sense of the word. It was, the fallout was so big that one day God himself was going to have to step in and fix that. Uh, but, but Adam and Eve, as we drop into this story, Adam and Eve were no longer walking with God, and so they were sent out of the garden. Um, and after this, they began a family. They had Cain, they had Abel, and maybe, just maybe, maybe, just maybe, right, uh, Adam and Eve's offspring would choose better. Maybe, right? Unfortunately, No. Their nature was, that sinful nature was just passed on and on and on. And get this. So here's what happened. Cain and Abel were, were both working. Cain was a farmer. Uh, he worked the ground, the Bible says. His uh, brother was a shepherd. He kept the sheep. One day, both of the bro brothers brought a sacrifice to God. And Cain, again, a farmer, brought some of the fruit of his crop. 
Abel, being a shepherd, keeper of the sheep, he brought the uh, firstborn, the prize selection from his, from his flock. Uh, and Genesis 4 says that God looked at Abel's sacrifice with favor and had no regard for Cain's. Ouch. So the Bible says that Cain was enraged. He was furious. And God, seeing this, says, Cain, why are you angry? Why are you angry? If you do well, if you do what is right, will I not accept you? Uh, Cain, don't give in to that anger. Sin is crouching at the door, right? Um, Don't give in to this anger. If you do well, will you not be accepted by me? But anger had already taken root in Cain. And Cain, while him and his brother were in the field working, uh, rose up and with his bare hands killed his brother. Uh, That didn't take long. For the rebellion of man to turn into murder, one generation. One generation. Uh, Man created to enjoy a close relationship with God, now broken. And, And John, here in our text... Uh, It says, Cain murdered his brother because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. And he says, don't be like that. Don't be like Cain. All right, there was the cliff note version. Come back in a few weeks and we're going to dive in a little deeper. But for now, um, with that tragic story uh, in your mind, let's continue on. In verse 13, it says, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does uh, does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So John says, don't be surprised, church, when the world hates you. Quick caveat, notice why they're hating you. It's not because you are a jerk or judgmental or crabby or starchy or whatever adjective you want to throw in there. Uh, That's not why. The reason why they are going to hate you is because they see the good. Their works evil, they see yours good, and and it brings up into them this hostility, this natural hostility toward God's people. Uh, We can kind of see this in our culture today, by the way, because for years, Christians in America have enjoyed something that I think may be passing, and that is, even though the world didn't acknowledge our Savior Jesus, they still liked our morals. They still liked our ethics, right? They might not go with the whole Jesus is Lord thing, but, hey, at least Christians are good citizens, And they valued our values. Church, that's not the case anymore. I don't know if you've noticed. It's not the case anymore. Not only do they deny our Christ, but they deny the things that we hold as right and true. And and John says, don't be surprised when the world hates you. Because they hated our Savior. In fact, if you look like, smell like, act like uh, the world, if the world loves you and they see you as one of their own, that should be maybe a, a warning. A warning ping should go off in your mind because if the world pushed against and eventually crucified our Savior, what do, they, what do you think they're going to do for those who model our lives after that, our Savior? Right? Uh, they aren't going to crucify him and celebrate you. 
Like, that, that makes no sense. They're not going to crucify him and yet celebrate you. The world is going to hate you. And so for a moment, I want to look at this word hate. Uh, we use language somewhat loosely, right? Like, I hate cream cheese on my bagel. Uh, I hate when the washing machine eats a sock. I hate the Oklahoma City Thunder. That one I mean, right? <laughs> I hate OKC. Um, but we use this word loosely, and it kind of downgrades a little bit of the, the meaning that it carries. And so I want to define this, this, this word, hate, as it's used in this context here. Uh, I'll put this on the screen because I, I want you to be able to see. It's an intense reaction Emotion or feeling towards someone, often accompanied by the desire to get rid of a person. There you go. Um, often accompanied by this desire to get rid of a person. That's why Jesus can say in Matthew 5, you've heard it said that if you murder, you're going to be liable for judgment. But I tell you, if you have hatred... Uh, anger against your brother, you're liable for judgment. Why can he say that? Because at the heart of it, murder and hate share the same motive. They share the same heart. Uh, this is why John says, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. He's echoing Jesus himself because murder is the natural application of hate. And we saw this in Cain. And John says, Church, we should not be like Cain. We should not be like Cain in his hatred that he had for his brother, which begs the question before we move on, um, uh, church, how are you like Cain? How are we like uh, Cain? Uh, so while you're thinking about that, let me air some of my dirty laundry with you. No, I want to talk to you about pastors. This is my world, and so while you're thinking, uh, let, me, let me get your wheels turning. Uh, share a, a dirty little secret that pastors can struggle with this a lot if we do not actively guard ourselves against this. Um, I mean, think about it. We work, we work, we work, and we try to serve the Lord, serve the people that God has given to the church. We, we do our best, and we do it for his glory, right? Not our kingdom, but his kingdom. Um, yet... It is so easy for the flesh in me to rise up when I look across the street and I see God blessing the socks off of another church. You know? Just being honest here. That's hard. That, that, that's hard. And all of a sudden, you feel that. Do I rejoice when another church explodes and is thriving and is seeing people come to Jesus? I should. I should. Or is there a weird, fleshly thing that rises up in me? Uh, I, was, I had uh, lunch with a, a group of pastors this week, and around the table, one of them uh, made a, a statement that made everyone around the table laugh. He says, I don't want to hear another pastor tell me how awesome things are for them. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? So everyone at the table just started laughing. Why were we laughing? Because we all knew exactly what that guy was talking about. I don't want to hear another pastor. We all know that tendency. Um, if you think about it, though, how ridiculous is it for any church to be jealous of any other church for wins? How, how 
It's like we're, we're, we live in a, a city of seriously sick and dying people, and we are a hospital getting to share the cure, and we're doing the best that we can to, to bring people in and to see them get the cure right, and then a hospital comes up and starts doing the same thing over there. Would, would we go, hey, don't do that. This is ours. No, because we're not the point. We're not the point. They are the point. They're sick people that need healing, and it's ours to meet the need. Um, one more thing before we get back to you. Uh, <laughs> I heard of a, a pastor in North Carolina who was, who was praying big prayers for a city. I mean, he really wanted to see a city changed. A movement that everyone in his city has heard the good news of Jesus Christ. They were praying huge prayers. And in that moment, God spoke to him and said, okay, but would you still be as excited and passionate if I reached your city with my good news, but I chose another church to do it? Would you still be praying this passionately? Uh, if I chose to use another church in the process, would you even be praying to me right now? Church, this is a call for us to check our, our cane-like tendencies. Our cane-like tendencies. That's me now. Now let's shift and let's go to you. Um, let me, uh, let me paint a picture. Maybe this will help. Uh, your evening's been crazy. Your house is a bit of a mess. Uh, you, your kids are crazy hooligans, like just lost their mind. And one of them you think is getting sick, but you don't even want to deal with that right now. Um, but just crazy. You have no idea what's for dinner. Your kitchen's already a mess, and you haven't had dinner, so you don't want to do that. And you don't know, you know, you're not in the mood to cook, but you haven't gone grocery shopping, so, you know. Plus, your bank account, it's seen better days, so you're not, like, wanting to go out and splurge or anything like that. Uh, finally, bedtime rolls around. Kids are, you know, actively fighting against you. I don't know if you've ever had that, that moment. Plus, now you think the other one may be getting sick, so you just are, just get them in bed. Get them in bed. Uh, so you're exhausted. You're dreaming of vacation. But finally, after the long day is over, everyone's in their rooms. The house is quiet. You are exhausted. And you, you plop down on the couch and you do what you know you shouldn't do. And that is you pick up your phone and you look at your Facebook feed. And you look at the Robinsons who are at Disney World with the caption, I love my angel children. <laughs> you know, you've been there. It's like the room of pastors where there's laughter, there's truth. Um, so we've been there. And you're thinking, I hope your whole family and your angel children get strep throat right now. Like, I hope that. You scroll down and you see uh, the Parker family who uh, took this beautiful filtered picture of the family around the coffee table praying fervently for world mission together and reading through the Psalms singing worship songs, and, and you think, ugh, that's Cain-like tendencies <laughs> rising up in us. Um, how are you like Cain? Are there people in your life that you just wish weren't there? You wish if there was any way to get rid of them? I mean, I don't want to do the dirty work, but if they, somehow they're gotten rid of, I'm good with that. Like, if you have that... <laughs> Right? How are you like Cain? Because this, this text says, church, we should expect that the world should feel this way about us. 
we should not expect for our brothers and sisters to feel this way about us. Like, we can expect that feeling from out there. We should not expect it from in here. We should not expect it with us. Romans says that we rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. Um, Cain-like tendencies causes us to want to flip those, where we rejoice for those who weep. We weep with those who rejoice. That's a Cain-like tendency just rising up in us. And so how are we like Cain? Uh, children of God fight against our Cain-like tendencies, and, and we're, we're told don't be like Cain. So let's shift gears a little bit. We'll come back. But if we're told not to be, I told you there's two examples. Don't be. Here's the negative, Cain. Who are we? What are we to be like? What's the positive example here? Let's look at verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against them, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in Truth. So verses 12 through 15 didn't have to give us a definition of hate. It, it gave us an example of it that we could now understand what hate looks like. Well, verses 16 and on, he doesn't give us the definition of love. He just gives us what love looks like. He gives us an example to where we can see it and, and see it in, in action. He says, by this we know love that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We see love in action through Jesus Christ. I, I think of John in his gospel says, greater love has no one than this. Does someone lay down his life for his friends? Uh, I, I think about, how about this? Have you ever considered the way John 3.16 and 1 John 3.16 are so beautiful when put next to each other? Listen to this. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he sent his Son, whosoever believes in him, not perish, have everlasting life. Let's look at 1 John. And by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. God so loved you that he proved it. He loved you so much that he sacrificed for you taking the punishment that you deserved and giving you the life that you do not deserve. That's the good news. That's the gospel. He demonstrated his great love that while you were yet sinners, he sent a son to die for you. Um, amen? Amen. Let's keep going, though, because 1 John 3.16 adds this. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. In the same way we can model our lives after Cain Church, we now get to model our lives after Christ. Christ laid down his life for me, and now I get the chance to lay down my life for you. So let's, uh, let's have a moment where we can get real again. Um, I want you to look around. It's going to be uncomfortable. I promise it'll be over soon. But look around. <laughs> look around. Okay. Okay. Um, Take a moment, maybe look over your shoulder as well if you're in the front. I know it's harder for you to look. Uh, would you lay down your life for them? 
Would you lay down your life for them? Do you know them enough to even answer that question? Would you lay down your life for them? Now, maybe that's not fair. All right, maybe that's not a fair question because it's, it's too hypothetical, right? I mean, no one's in here with their life being threatened that we can lay down our lives for it. So maybe that's not a fair question. Maybe it's too hard to answer. So let me simplify it and let's start. Would you lay down your time for them? Would you lay down your time for them? You're busy. You live busy lives. You, um, but would you be able to s- sacrifice your time for the people who you just looked at? That means maybe getting up early, staying up late for their good, uh, grabbing a lunch when it's not convenient, giving a vacation day up, a well-earned vacation day for their good and not yours. Would you give your time? Because chances are, if you would not consider giving your time, there is no way that you would consider giving your life. Would you give your time for them? All right, with those same people in mind, another question straight from the text. Would you give your money for them? Would you give your money for them? John says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Would you give your money for them? So many of us live right at our means, or maybe if we're honest, a bit over our means, and we have no margin to love the people around us financially. So, would you be willing to sit down and, and, and budget your finances in a way that would free you up to love those around you? Are you willing to give to your church? Are you willing to give to the needs of the people that you just looked at? Are they worth that? If you're not willing to give your, your time you're not willing to give your budget for them, chances are you also would not give your life for them. Jesus came and he showed us love is not self-preservation but self-sacrifice. Jesus came and he showed us it's not self-promotion but it's the giving of ourselves. Would you give yourselves for them? Because we're a family Church, we are a family, not just in word. It's not just a catchy, we're the family. No, we are family, not just in word, but in truth. We are the family in word and in deed. Would you give yourself for them? A few more things before we move on. It says, if you have the world's good and you see your brother, what's the implication there? Do we even see? Do we even know? Are we aware Um, most people, most, I don't want to say normal, but um, most normal people don't walk around with their needs on their shoulder. They don't walk around with a billboard that says, I'm in desperate need. I do not want to go home tonight because I'm in a dark place. Most people don't rock that billboard. That doesn't mean they're not in this room. Do we see them? John also says, and if you see them and yet you close your heart against them, is your heart closed to the people that you might have a hunch are in need? 
is your first reaction, well, someone else will take care of that. Someone else will help. I mean, their community group, I think, or, you know, that's a pastor's job. That's a deacon's job. That's an elder's job. Someone else has got this, right? Um, Would you give yourself for them? Because, church, Christ gave himself for them, and now he's invited you to do the same. Would you give yourself for them? And then verse 18 says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. I want to give you a thought. Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ didn't just love you in theory? He didn't just love you in word, but he loved you in deed and in truth. We are called, church, to do the same to take this idea and thought of love your neighbor and take it from theory and see it take root and set to tangible actions. So church, um, what does that look like for you? What does that look like for you? Um, What does it look like? How are you tangibly meeting the needs and loving your neighbors? The, the people that are around you in your community group, the people that you just turned around and, and, and saw, because as I said at the beginning, the goal of this morning, our grand goal is not simply to acquire more knowledge for you to take home with you. Um, it's not to learn new things. It's not to deepen our study. All those things are great, but that's not our grand goal. Our grand goal this morning is to see deep study move us toward deep application. So, we can't read this passage, study it, and and think on it, and do nothing with it. It must drive us to something. It must drive us to some action. It drives us to love as Christ's love. Uh, When we see the beauty of John 3.16, that he loved us, sent his son to die for us so that we can now live that we know the love of, we know true love because we, saw, we see that Jesus gave himself for us and now we're invited to give ourselves for others. When we see that, it's a call to action. And so here's what I'm saying. We can't sit here and, and ask how or should I apply this? You know, we, we can't sit here and think, should I do this? Should I act on this? Church, the question is How? How do you do this? How do you act on this? We should not be praying, God, should I? We should be praying, God, how can I? That's a different mindset. Um, And so what I want to do, I want to set, just as we wrap up, I want to set three things before you from the text. The, the, The goal of our time, as I've said repeatedly, is for you to walk out of here and actually be able to live out what we have talked about. This is a, an incredibly practical passage. I want to set three things before you that help you, that'll help you step into this. The first is this, um, make margin. Uh, John says, if anyone has the world's goods. Well, the world's goods here is, is financial means. It's not the world in the negative sense. It it's, has the ability to step in and to meet the needs of a brother and sister. It's as, it's as simple as that, um, that we meet physical needs. And so 
Hear me. Um, for so many of us, our problem is not a shortage of goods. Our problem is often in our allocation of those goods. Many of us feel as though we have no time to help. We have no time, let, a no, let alone the time to actually spend getting to know someone, to know the needs. Right, we just don't have time. And we go from calendar event to calendar event. And I am a calendar guy, so I get you on that one. We go from calendar event to calendar event, and every moment, every second of the day, from the moment we get up to the moment we go to sleep, is accounted for. Uh, is there any wonder why, why we can't be generous with our time? Uh, we, our time is accounted for. We have no margin. It, but hear me, quantity is not our problem, though. The quantity of time is not the problem. In fact, we all have the same amount here. Um, quantity of time is not the problem. The allocation of that time is the problem. Your calendar does not have margin for you to help. Church, we got to fix that. Busyness is not a mark of honor. It's often the, the thing we use to hide behind things we know we need to do. But our, our calendars, uh, we have no margin to help. In the same way, we could talk about what John talks about, our money. We can look at our finances. Uh, many of us, of course, not all of us, but many of us in this room, um, the quantity, it's not a shortage of goods problem that we have in, in our community for the most part, but it's an allocation of those goods. Our finances are accounted for. Our budget does not afford us the margin to step in. And if we're going to invest into each other and invest into the people in this room, we have to have the margin to do it. And that starts with you. That starts with you. Um, one of the biggest, if not the biggest killer of our generosity is the simple fact that we are overcommitted, overstretched, and overbooked. That's the single greatest killer of our brotherly generosity to the family. Is that we're, we're overcommitted. And living our lives with margin will help counter that. And, and so the call here is to make margin and to start where you are. I'm not recommending. In fact, it raises my anxiety just thinking of going to your calendar and going, delete, don't do that. <laughs> what I'm saying with the same diligence that you apply to scheduling other things... Schedule margin. And then us, you know, task people, it'll be on our task and we'll do it, right? Schedule margin. Fight against the, the, the tendency to let your, your life tell you what to do and when to do it. Schedule it. Uh, maybe for you and your family, it's putting a give line item in your budget. Maybe you've never had that before. But do you know how amazing it is to see a need and go, oh, wait, we budgeted for this one. And there's a joy that comes with creating margin. And for some of you, it may need to just start with your budget and, and creating a give line item, maybe scheduling or calendar where you can be intentional. So we start with building margin. The second one is this. Um, this sounds simple, but look around. 
We've already said that, that John calls us and sees his brother in need. The implication there is that we've looked around in order to see. As we've said, we're in a room full of people right now that might not tell you about the needs, but it doesn't mean they're not there. For all of you in community groups, our community groups are filled with people who go through seasons of need. Do you know them? Do you see them? Have you looked up and looked around? Um, of course, I'm just going to tell you, you can't be everything to everyone. This is a big room, uh, but you can be someone or be something to someone, you know? Start where you are. This is not a call for you to be the church ATM machine, okay? It's not a call for you to just set up, post up right here with a sign that says, come free 20s. It's not what I'm calling. No, 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 no. The, the call, though, is for you to look around in the circles that God has placed you in and ask, God, how can you help me show the love of Christ in these circles? Create the margin, look around, and begin to pray for opportunities that God can use you in. I don't know if you've ever done this, but there is something so beautiful when, when you see a need come and you realize we've been wise and, 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 and made arrangements where we can meet this need without even thinking about it. That is beautiful. And some of you in this room have the opportunity and the chance to do that. Make margin, look around, and lastly, Take the next step. Start where you are. Um, I said that one of the, the greatest hindrances to generosity was the fact that we're overstretched. Uh, let me give you another one. It's how overwhelming and daunting the need can be. You don't even know where to start sometimes. And, and there's a quote that has stuck with me for many, many years. Uh, by Andy Stanley that says, do for one what you wish you could do for many. Do for one what you wish you could do for many. In other words, don't let your inability to fix all the problems keep you from fixing one, for stepping in somewhere. Uh, where you are not called, I'll put it like this, you are not called to fix all the problems. You are not called to fix all of the problems. Take that off. You're not called to meet all the needs. No. But church, we are. We are together called to do that. We are called to engage. And so if we are going to engage, that means we're going to make margin. We're going to look around. We're going to take the next step. Jesus Christ laid down his life for you. You are not your own. You are not your own. And, and he gave himself for you, and now he's invited you to follow in his footsteps to give yourself for others. So church, how are you going to do that? Practically, tangibly, how are you going to make space and margin in your life? How are you going to become better at looking around in the circles that God has you in? How are you going to get better at taking that next step? What does it look like? How can we move from knowing to application? Deep study to deep living. What does that look like in your life? As I pray, I want you to I want to end in a different way. I want you to honestly begin to pray, God, what does this look like for me? 
If you, uh, if you are here and you're a visitor with us, I mean you too. Um, I want you to, in this moment as I pray, just think, imagine if a room full of, of people walk out of here applying that, the difference we would make in this community. Jesus says they're going to know that you're mine by your love. Now imagine if everyone in here got that, walked out, lived that. Imagine the example we will be for Jesus Christ. That's a community I want to belong to. So as I pray, would you, um, don't just listen to me pray is what I'm saying. But would you, in your seat, would you pray with me? God, would you show us? Let's pray. God, I first just stop and I thank you for sending your son. None of this matters without him. We would not know what true love looked like without him. And Father, now, because we have seen him and know him, now help us, Lord, to follow him. Help us to live out your word and to apply it, not theoretically, but God, practically. God, would you show me how to walk out of this room and to apply this better. This week, would you help me love my brothers and sisters? Would you help me identify all of the cane-like tendencies I have in myself? And I, I thank you for your grace when I fail. But God, as, as I know and feel your grace, would you help me not be content staying in my cane-like tendencies, but instead, would you show me the way that I can walk in your love? Would you show me a person that you would have me reach out to? Would you show me an action that you have called me to do as your child? God, for those in, in this room, I, I just... I pray that you speak, and I pray that you, you, your speaking to them would, would go beyond when we say amen here in a moment, but that you would speak to them this week and illuminate their lives and show them how they can live out your word in a way that brings you all glory and all honor, that the world will know that we are yours because of the way we love. Help us stand strong as the world hates us. Help us band together and love each other as we are despised because of righteousness. And God, help our response to that to be strong and courageous love because we know that was your response. As, the world, as you were crucified, that was your response. So God, help us know how we can follow after you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.